Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Woman Warriors podcast. I'm your host, Elizabeth Cush, a licensed clinical professional counselor in Annapolis, Maryland. We're on a break from the podcast for the month of December, but I am re-releasing the top three episodes of the year. While I'm on break, I will be posting on social media at Woman Warriors on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. But I will also be behind the scenes creating a brand new Facebook group for all of you woman warriors. And I really hope you will join me there. We'll be sharing the podcast episodes, our thoughts about them, things we worry about, strategies to help each other and support each other in this worrying time. So I look forward to seeing you all in 2020. Here's the number one downloaded episode for the year. Today, my guest is Sharon Martin. She is a licensed psychotherapist and a licensed clinical social worker, a mental health writer, and a media contributor on emotional health and relationships. Her psychotherapy practice in San Jose, California, specializes in helping perfectionists and people pleasers embrace their imperfections and overcome self-doubt and shame. Her own struggle to feel good enough inspired her passion for helping others learn to accept and love themselves. Sharon writes the popular blog, Happily Imperfect for PsychCentral.com, and is the author of the CBT workbook for perfectionism. And today we're going to talk about her workbook. We're going to talk about perfectionism, how it impacts or increases your anxiety, and some strategies that might help you overcome some of those perfectionist behaviors. So let's get started. This week's episode is sponsored by Progression Counseling, providing Maryland residents with individual, group, and online counseling for the overstressed, overwhelmed, and overanxious. Find out more at progressioncounseling.com. Hi, Sharon. Thanks so much for coming back and being on the podcast. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, I'm excited to talk about your new book, the CBT Workbook for Perfectionism. But before we jump into that, maybe just tell us a little bit about you and kind of what inspired you to write this book in the first place. Sure. Well, I'm a psychotherapist. I practice in San Jose, California, and I've been in practice for quite a long time. Um, And I would say... That part of what inspired me to write this book is, well, partly my own struggle with perfectionism. And then also just seeing how many of my clients struggle with perfectionism. And I would say often they didn't necessarily even use that word or really put it in that context, but that they were really struggling with feeling overwhelmed, stressed, highly pressured to succeed and do everything, I would say. I think this is common probably in a lot of places in the country, Um, but here in Silicon Valley, it's a very fast-paced life. There are a lot of very successful companies and people, 
And I see this in adults and I also see it in teenagers. I don't see as many teenagers in my practice anymore. But when I was, I was definitely seeing a lot of it come up for high school kids around school and expectations and college and just this overwhelming pressure to succeed and I think achieve at really, you know, astronomical levels Mm -hmm. that was, you know, I feel like beyond what I felt as a teenager. And I certainly remember feeling highly stressed. Um, And again, this is partly my own, (laughs) you know, struggle with the perfectionism coming in there, you know. So I remember as as a student, you know, it feeling really important to do things well and get A's and do all of the homework and stay on top of everything and it being a lot. But like I said, I I feel like we have added on another level for kids today. So I, you know, I was definitely seeing a lot of that coming up for people and that they don't really know what to do with it, Mm. that they feel like they're kind of like caught in this, you know, almost sort of hamster wheel of it that, you know, you have to just go, go, go and do, do, do and perform and perfect and achieve more. And there was no way out is what it ended up feeling like for folks. So in writing this book, I'm, I'm hoping that this provides some strategies and, you know, some skills that people can build on so that they can learn how to, I would say, you know, slow down and somewhat kind of reevaluate what's really important to them. Yeah. And learn how to be kinder to themselves. You know, it doesn't necessarily mean not having high standards for themselves, because I think people who are perfectionists are always going to have high standards, but understanding that there's room for other things in our life, too, that are important, you know, things like rest and fun and relaxation, um, right? So sort of create some balance for ourselves. And that can really improve the quality of people's lives. Mm, So, so much. It's interesting. I read an article recently that uh, talked about millennials in particular, in terms of somehow the like, good things have become bad and bad things have become good. So like working 80 hour weeks is good. And taking off time to take care of yourself has become like a bad thing. And so Mm. like, just ending up with I think the article was focused on burnout, and just creating this cycle of just going, going, going and never taking care of yourself is leading to all these people just it described this one guy just like not getting out of bed one day and going, eh, you know what, I don't really care. <laughs> like, I'm not going back to my job. And it was a huge, you know, big pressure job. But he just got to that point. But uh, right. Yeah, I think I think that sort of speaks to feeling like it's all or nothing, right? I have right, to right. do it all rather than how can I do some of it? of the work and some of the fun and the self care, exactly, you know, and make room for all of it. Yeah, it's almost like sometimes that, you know, 80 hour work week becomes the badge of honor, right? When Mm -hmm. you hear people bragging about how much they're working or. Yeah, just being always on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, or different accomplishments, you know, that they've achieved or the place that they work or the title. Yeah, it can, can, you know, I think in some ways it, it really is us getting out of alignment with our priorities and our values for some of us anyway. Sure. So if you and and this may not be like a simple cut and dry definition, but for like you said that 
some of your clients don't recognize that it's kind of a perfectionism thing that's keeping them either working too much or not wanting even to approach your approach the work if they can't do it perfectly. Mm -hmm. So how would you for someone who may not or maybe want to better understand what perfectionism looks like? How would you describe it? Yeah, so that's a good question. Because I think there's almost two parts of it. There are the observable signs of perfectionism. And I think this is what we're most used to identifying as the perfectionist. Like we kind of have an idea in our mind of somebody who, you know, their appearance is is, is very, you know, perfected. They're very well groomed, very fashionable. You know, they look just right. They keep themselves looking great. And, you know, their house is immaculate and everything's in order and they're organized, you know, and their kids behave themselves. (laughs) From the outside, it looks perfect. Right. They work a lot. They've achieved a lot. They've been to, you know, college and gotten degrees and awards. And there's lots of external signs of accomplishments and achievements. And so that's part of it. You know, that's sort of, you know, almost sort of the sort of type A personality, very driven and um, goal oriented. And then there's almost, you know, another group of perfectionists who don't really identify with that because, you know, they might say, well, my house is really messy. How could I be a perfectionist, right? I'm obviously not (laughs) keeping things up and I don't demand that the house is immaculate or that my hair has to be done before I go out. Mm -hmm. But the perfectionism is really showing up in their thinking, it's it's more of a mindset that's holding them back. And sometimes this can be in procrastination, right, that they don't do things because they can't do them well, or mm. they perceive that they can't do them well. And or that they, there's... I was going to say, or the expectation, they think the expectation is they have to be able to do it perfectly. Yeah. Right. And it, right. And there's the fear that they won't be able to live up to that expectation, which is either your own internal expectation or one that somebody else has placed there. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's there's a mindset of, well, if I can't do it perfectly, if I can't do it better than average, I'm just not going to do it. Like, what's the point? Or sometimes it's even if a, a feeling of less than... I'm not good enough because if I was, this would be easy for me. Mm. Um, So it's almost like because this is hard, I have to put so much effort into doing this. That must mean I'm not very smart or, you know, fill in the blank with whichever adjective, you know, you're feeling crummy about yourself uh, in that situation, which again, it's the mindset is I have set this unrealistically high expectation for myself that there was no way for me to achieve and that's really sort of the crux of the perfectionism is is when you have these expectations that are so high that you can't achieve them right and then that and then that um, shows up you know in your behavior and in your thinking and so you know like in this example it's not necessarily observable to other people that you're procrastinating or maybe even that you're just not trying new things. Like maybe you're missing out on new opportunities. You don't try something new. If, you know, maybe your friend invites you to do karaoke and you're like, you just don't go because you're afraid of embarrassing yourself that you're not going to do it well. You're not going to do a good job. Mm -hmm. Um, Right. Yeah. 
Yeah. You're not going to apply for a new job that you're interested in. Again, because that fear is holding you back. There's the, there's a feeling of, well, I'm, you know, I'm just putting myself out there. And I'll be rejected or I'll be told I'm not good enough. So I'll just play it safe. And again, yeah. this is not something that, that, you know, you can observe in somebody else. It's just something that you know internally um, if you take the time to, to think about, you know, am I really limiting myself? Am I holding myself back because I'm afraid of not succeeding? Yeah, yeah. Not doing it 110%. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. As if, you know, we know that, you know, most of us apply for jobs that we don't get. Right, right, right. Right. So for the perfectionist, like that feels very painful. I don't want to put myself in that situation of being told something negative about myself. Or again, that's my interpretation is there must be something wrong with me because I didn't get the job mm-hmm. versus there's so many other explanations about why you didn't get the job, right? Maybe they decided to give it to their sister-in-law because right. she lost her job. Right. It had nothing to do with whether you were smart enough or a good enough candidate for the job. But that's that's the mindset that we have. So we start seeing the world um, Mm -hmm. through that lens. And like I said, it just it, it really holds you back from trying new things. And because when you try new things, they're there are going to be places where you do not succeed. Right, right. Right. You don't get every job that you apply for. And, you know, hopefully we you know, we want to feel like it's okay to take those chances and it's okay to not get the job or whatever. Mm-hmm. And and we can still feel good about ourselves regardless. And that doesn't have to become like a defining moment of um, unworthiness for us. Yeah. And so how, how do these seeds of perfectionism, you know, get planted and how do they grow? And like, what have you seen in your practice where, you know, and, and yourself, you know, you describe yourself as a recovering or whatever perfectionist, Mm -hmm. (laughs) how, you know, how do these things get planted in us? Well, there's a a number of different ways. And, you know, like most, most things, there are those roots that are come from childhood from the way that we were raised. Yeah. Um, So it's often helpful to think about, you know, what you were taught either overtly or covertly that the messages were that you got as a child about, you know, achievements and self-worth and failure and criticism and mistakes and those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. So sometimes it's as clear cut as, you know, you had a parent who was a perfectionist and you saw this and it was modeled for you that, that there wasn't tolerance for mistakes and that you had to achieve that, you know, A plus in, in every class and be the star athlete. And, you know, you were taught that that's um, what was important from, a, from an early age. And I think going along with that, sometimes there's, there's another group of parents that in the book I call demanding parents, which um, are similar, but the difference with the demanding parents is it's, it's as if the parent themselves are deriving their self-worth from the child's yeah. achievements. So they're pushing, pushing, pushing on their child to achieve so much because it's going to reflect poorly on them if their child doesn't have all this outward success. So you may have had that experience as a kid, too, where you've got a parent who's just really pushing you and telling you you have to get the grades, you have to go to the Ivy League college, you have to become a doctor, Mm -hmm. whatever they viewed as successful. 
And then another another family dynamic that sometimes can breed this perfectionism is when you have parents who were distracted or mm. or a very chaotic family environment that's, you know, maybe we would just sort of call it dysfunctional for simplicity's sake here. Yeah. Um, but where kids are sort of lost in the shuffle, that they're not getting a lot of attention paid to them and they're not getting their emotional needs recognized and met. Mm-hmm. And so the perfectionism can become a way of trying to feel in control of that sort of out of control, chaotic, dysfunctional family. And it also can be a way of getting positive attention or just attention at all. So by being so good, you know, again, sort of getting those awards or being recognized as a way for, for that kid to finally feel like they matter. Right. They're finally going to get their parents' attention. Or even yep. just that that external uh, reward takes the place of maybe the parental, like, okay, well, I'm not getting it at home. I mean, this may not even be a conscious decision, a conscious sure. choice, but like, there is recognition from somebody that I'm yeah. doing this. And so if I can get good grades, at least I know I can place value on my worth that way versus... Right, right. Yeah. It could be, you know, you're getting a teacher or a coach right. um, or some other important adult to validate mm-hmm. who you are, right? That you matter, which is, you know, just a, a core need that we all have as children and as adults. Yeah. We want to know that we matter in yeah. the world and to our parents in particular. Yeah. Well, and the, I mean, the other thing that, of course, it, it all, you know, works together is just our culture you know, at large, right, and your particular culture of more specifically, right, so you might also think about, you know, your religious upbringing, um, beliefs, Mm -hmm. you know, just other cultural beliefs. Often there are some gender differences that that come into play um, for people in terms of what's expected of girls versus boys. I I think um, men and boys are certainly affected by perfectionism. But sometimes it can be a little bit different. I, I often hear from from women that they felt as girls growing up that they had a lot of, you know, there was a lot of pressure for them to be good girls um, mm. and to be, you know, sort of people pleasers who were self-sacrificing and doing things for other people. And, and that sort of feeds itself right into that perfectionism, which is, you know, I've got to be good. And that's that's the path to, again, that self-worth and the attention. Yeah, yeah. Well, and too, I think girls, uh, and tell me if you find this too in your practice, that, you know, girls and women, you know, that, yes, you need to be good at school, but you have to look good too. And you have to, you know, be able to, once you're living on your own, take care of your home and maybe your children too, and do it all perfectly uh which yeah is and really again, hard I think, I, I think it's it's not just do it perfectly but make it look easy while you're doing it I yes think is often the message is this isn't so hard yeah you, know, you should be able to do it all what's wrong with you if you can't yeah yeah so i think again for for women we have you know historically had that challenge of how do you do the career and the parenting and the family pieces all together at the same time Mm. and again men and boys absolutely get 
difficult messages about their appearance and what they should be looking like um, as well. So I don't mean to discount that. They're just different than the messages that, mm-hmm. that girls get and women get about their bodies and their appearance. And, you know, you just, we are bombarded, I think, with images and messages about oh, yeah. our appearance. And that that is a, a big piece of perfectionism for a lot of women. Yeah. And a big piece of um, feeling bad about themselves is that they can't attain what they, pers- you know, what they feel like they've been told is the ideal body. Oh um, my gosh. Absolutely. Right. Yes. Um, so. Well, and social media plays so much into that. I mean, as well as just commercials and everything you see on television. Right. So we, it's not fair for us to still hold ourselves to that standard yeah. of things that we're seeing in the media. Mm-hmm. Well, I just want to say I love at the very beginning in the introduction of your book, you say, allow imperfection, because as a perfectionist, you may want to be doing this, the exercises in the book just right. And I'm going to read a little bit from your book. You said there are no there are no grades or judgments. Instead, this is your opportunity to embrace your imperfections and learn to recognize them as a natural part of the human experience, not as shortcomings. And I just love that you integrate that right from the start, because (laughs) I think that's such a I have seen that in therapy, you know, clients wanting to, to be the perfect client, you know, give me the assignment, and I'm going to do it and tell me what I should be doing next. And it's just about learning really about yourself. And that just takes practice and, and coming back and talking and being insightful. And there isn't this perfect way to do it. Again, Mm -hmm. with the workbook, same thing, like you're just going to do it and make mistakes along the way. And that's okay. Yeah, the the workbook, of course, gives you plan. It gives you a map of some steps to take. But of course, everybody is different. Mm-hmm. And so it's perfectly fine, you know, to jump around and spend more time on some sections than others. And I think naturally, some of the exercises will speak more to other people. And again, even just if you think about, you know, a group of perfectionists, like I said, I mean, it sort of manifests itself in different ways for different people, which means, you know, as much as I'd like this to be the, <laughs> the solution for everybody, you're going to pick and choose, I think. Yeah, uh, what to take out and what to work yeah. on. And- yeah. yeah. And, and like you were saying, part of it is just allowing yourself to do what feels right for you. And that there isn't a right way to go about making changes or thinking about things differently or understanding yourself. You know, at the yeah. end of the day, we're all we're all figuring it out for ourselves again with some guidance yeah. from other people. But we yeah. have to, I think, honor, you know, the differences amongst ourselves as well. Absolutely. And how do you see, you know, you talk about how perfectionism can add to stress levels. And we've talked a little bit about that. But what do you do you see links between perfectionism, stress and anxiety? Yeah, well, like we were talking, I think the perfectionism really, it adds another layer of stress, I think, to an already stressful life that most of us are living. Mm -hmm. Because right, when you think about you're just adding all this pressure to do more, and you're adding pressure to 
you know, sometimes that means actually doing more work because you might actually feel like you need to redo work in order to make it perfect. So sometimes that's like literally you have created extra work for yourself. Or I think with the procrastination, we all know that that doesn't really solve our problem. Usually it uh, it just makes us feel more stressed and anxious because oh we, <laughs> we know we should be doing whatever task we're trying to avoid. So yeah. we're not actually, you know, kicking back and relaxing and forgetting about it. It's in the back of our minds. <laughs> we're stressing about it and worrying about it. Or giving ourselves a hard time about it that Absolutely. we're not doing it. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think that's where a lot of the mental energy mm. gets spent, right? That stress is on the, all the self-critical thoughts that we're thinking, all of the mean things that we're saying to ourselves. Yeah. And that, and it, yes, that's an element of stress, but it also just exacerbates the problem because we already feel bad about ourselves. And now we're just reiterating, you know, you're a failure, you're stupid, you're ugly, mm. you know, you're never going to get this right, whatever that voice sounds like for you. And that doesn't motivate anybody to do better. No. Right? That just, that just makes you feel more stressed and more anxious, more in, you know, out yeah. of control, inferior, oh. hopeless. Absolutely. Yeah. Right? Just so, reinforcing all these things. Yeah. These horribly negative things about yourself, which then you're like, well, why would I even go? Why would I even start if I, if I can't even get this part right? Right. Yeah. It, it becomes that, you know, self-defeating, you know, idea, self-defeating thought, because you've already, you know, are thinking, oh, I'm not going to be successful at this, saying that to yourself, and you believe it. And yeah. then set this really high standard for yourself that you can't possibly meet. So, of course, you're not going to meet it. <laughs> and then you right. feel like, well, that just proves my point. I really am stupid because I, you know, right. I didn't get that job. Mm. Well, and I love that you included working on self-compassion, working on forgiveness and mindfulness among your, you know, towards the end of the book, some of the exercises working on taking care of yourself around your imperfections. And that's such a nice, I feel like some CBT stuff doesn't take that into account. It's just like, change your thoughts, and you're gonna feel better, you know, change your thoughts, change your behaviors. And it's like, okay, but if we're still feeling terrible about ourselves, like we need to work on that too. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, I think it goes hand in hand nicely because the the CBT, the cognitive behavioral therapy piece of it, really helps you look at where your thoughts have gotten off track, right? Yep. Where you're setting those really high expectations that you can't meet, where um, you're, you know, saying things to yeah. yourself, right? Mm -hmm. um, having unrealistic expectations of yourself. Then, right, when we can bring in this other part, which is, you know what? This is hard. This is, you know, hard for everybody to struggle with these things. Wouldn't it be nice if we could be kind to ourselves yeah. and love ourselves despite the fact that we're having a, a hard time because we're having a hard time, mm -hmm. you know, because we're disappointed, because we're, you know, not feeling like we're achieving as much as we want to. 
because we feel like we're imperfect and we're making mistakes, right? So part of that self-compassion is actually remembering that other people are struggling, you know, with exact same things. It's not... It's not just you, and that's, I think it's almost sort of isolating, you know, you're sort of in that little perfectionism bubble, just feeling like I must be the only one who's not getting this, who's not able to do it all, versus sort of broadening, you know, your thoughts to really saying, okay, it's not something inherently inferior or wrong with me. Again, and this is where we we do ourselves as you know as a community a disservice by not talking about how hard things are or you know being more authentic about what real life looks like for us. Because when we do, when we have those authentic conversations with our friends or our family, then we do realize, oh yeah, like you're having a hard time, mm. you know, yes. managing work. And, you know, your kid's schedule, oh, okay, I guess, you know, it's not just me. It's not that I'm just, uh, like, feeling like a failure as a mother. Right, um, maybe right. instead, I can see this as more of a, you know, universal experience. And then I can, then I can give myself some comfort for that, yeah. right? And I can give myself some compassion, you know, just like we would for our friends when they're saying, you know, if your friend tells you she's feeling like a failure as a mother, you're going to say something nice to her. Right. You're not going to go, yep, you are. You suck as a mom. Right. Right. What's wrong with you that you can't, you know, do everything and make it look easy and breeze through all of this, right? right? So we can we can see ourselves in that same same experience, then we can say, okay, Mm -hmm. you deserve some love, some kindness, some self-care. Because those are those are the things that are actually going to help us feel good about ourselves, you know, yeah. and, and not so judgmental and so inadequate. Yes. Um, yeah. And again, I think it's just like and just be more realistic about what's possible. Well, you mentioned in the book, like any new behaviors, anything we want to change, things we want to do differently. It takes time. And this isn't like a, the workbook isn't intended to be like a quick fix. When you're done this book, you're going to be cured of perfectionism. Talk to us a little bit about that. Like, what's the intention of the book in terms yes. of working well, I have, I, I'm sure I wrote something like that because I absolutely believe it. And I, you know, I say it to my clients all the time, right? I mean, if you have had this pattern of behavior and pattern of thinking, you know, since you were a child, I mean, you're not, you're honestly, you're not going to undo it in, you know, a matter of weeks or even months, right? right? Mm -hmm. But I think there's a lot to be said for even just some incremental change. Mm. And I actually talk about Um, this in the book as well is, you know, we can also think about what are the positive things about your perfectionism? Yeah, it's not all bad, right? It's bad at the extreme. But there are some good pieces to it. And we don't necessarily want to just throw out being organized or being conscientious, right? right. Being attentive to detail. Like those are really good qualities. And I think Often what we're really talking about is how can we just moderate the perfectionism? Like how can we just dial it back enough Mm. so that you're 
you know, you can enjoy the, the benefits of some of those personality traits and some of those habits that you've created, but not have it be at this extreme where you're stressed out all the time and you're feeling crappy about yourself all the time, right? right? So if we could find that place in the middle, then, we, then we'd be in a good spot. And so, again, I think this just fits in really nicely with the whole theme of the book, which is like, we need to get away from this all or nothing thinking, right? Right? Is we are looking for someplace in the middle that's going to work for us. Mm-hmm. Right. So you don't have to, you know, learn every skill um, in the book and be able to do it, you know, standing on your head. <laughs> you, you know, you just need to, you just need to start catching, you know, some of the, the negative thoughts that you're having, being able to catch the unrealistic expectations and, and change them at least some of the time. You don't necessarily have to learn how to do it all, all of the time, because that, again, that may be unrealistic. Right, right, right. You don't want to be perfect at being imperfect, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, the point is just, I think oftentimes people can get a significant amount of improvement in the quality of their life from actually a fairly moderate amount of change. Yeah, a hundred percent. Right. Like sometimes you think, Oh, I just got to overhaul every single, you know, thing in my life. And often that's not necessary. Yeah. Um, Yeah. A little awareness goes a long way. Because then again, that just, it feels so overwhelming and daunting to feel like I have so much to do. Then I, again, I'm probably not going to even do it because I've already, you know, it already feels like it's unattainable. Mm. Right, so I'll break right. it off into little chunks. You know, that's also a really good strategy is one one step at a time. Mm, yes, I agree with that. Do you have any tips for clients or for the audience? And how do people find the book? Okay, well, yes, I have lots of tips in the book. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you do. The book is filled with tips. So yes, there are lots of tips. Yes, uh, yes. But yeah, we talked about a few of them. I will I will say one other tip maybe or idea that is probably one of my favorites in the book. Mm -hmm. And again, it's maybe not radically different than some of the things that we've already talked about. But (laughs) in the book, I I call it looking for partial successes. Mm. And uh, again, this is a way of trying to break down that all or nothing thinking, either seeing something as a success or a failure, um, Mm. or it's good or it's bad or it's right or it's wrong. You know, so instead of just trying to decide if something was a success or a failure, oftentimes we end up putting things that were somewhat successful or we did some of them into the failure basket, which is unnecessary. Mm. An, an alternate way of looking at it is to say this was a partial success. And when you can think about things like this, I think you're really motivating yourself. You are you know, choosing to look at the positive and acknowledge, you know, what you did do instead of everything you didn't do. Right. You know, right. There's no reason I shouldn't get credit for, you know, partial work. (laughs) Right. Well, and I think part of the problem that comes with not giving yourself any credit or saying this was a failure is then you're like, well, I just can't do it then. Right. Like you're like, you know, you just give up on it versus like, well, I went there once and good for me for getting there one time. You're being overly hard on yourself, Mm -hmm. which is, it's not fair. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) it's not fair. You're discounting you know, a positive step, a positive action that you took mm-hmm. instead of, 
you know, choosing to see that you did something. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's just, it's sort of, you know, rewiring your thinking. Well, and I think that can be so beneficial because we really do tend to lean toward the negative, right? We tend to remember the the bad parts. And so highlighting, okay, well, I, I did go to the gym that one time or whatever. I So, I mean, I would say if people aren't sure, if you're skeptical, give it a try That's and see right. how it is, right? It'll feel weird at first, just like any change. I think especially if you've been very self-critical, yeah. um, anything that you do that feels <laughs> kind feels weird, but that doesn't mean it's wrong. It no. just means it's different. Yeah, yeah. And it takes getting used to like doing anything that's different. Mm-hmm. Yes. All right. So, so yeah. anyway, that's yeah. my last tip. The awesome. book is, you know, it's on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, wherever you shop for books, you should be able to find it. Perfect. Well, Sharon, thanks so much for taking the time today and talking to us about your book and uh, giving us a little window into what it's like for, to be a perfectionist and how we can change that. Excellent. Thanks for having me. So I appreciate your tuning in again to this re-release of the top three episodes. I hope you took something new away if you were listening to it whether for the first time or a second time. Once again, I am on break until January of 2020 when I will be back with all new interviews and episodes. I'm super excited with the lineup that I have so far. I'm excited about potential interviews to come and I will be working on this month of December a new Facebook group for all of us women warriors to support and be there together and work through some of the struggles. So I hope you'll join me there. I look forward to being back here with the Woman Warriors podcast in January. Have a wonderful week. Ciao for now from this woman warrior.